But we're going to look together tonight at Joshua chapter 3. And it's a part of the Bible that we don't look at very often because we kind of skip over it as if it has nothing to say to us. But I think it's a real important part of the Bible on page 210. And what I want to encourage you to see here in Joshua 3, and we're going to begin to read at verse 9, is that every word in the Bible is there for a reason. And here we see that in Joshua 3, as we look at the details of the crossing of the Jordan River, as God leads his people at this important time, just as they're about to go in the promised land. Sometimes we forget that God has a reason for every single word. And we're going to see several different miracles in this passage tonight too. But let's look at it, starting with verse 9. And Joshua is the new leader of God's people. And in Joshua chapter 1, it tells us God called him after Moses had died to be the leader of Israel. In verse 9, it says, Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites and the Hivites, uh, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. See the ark of the Lord, the covenant of the Lord of all the earth. It will go into the Jordan ahead of you. That's an important detail there. The ark will go before you. And now then choose 12 men from the 12 tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the God of all of the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and they will stand up in a heap. And so when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. And now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. Another important part of this story. Yet as soon as the priests who carry the ark reach the Jordan, and as soon as their feet touch the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing, and it piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Erba, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. And so the people crossed over opposite Jericho. And the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan. And listen to this. They stood on dry ground while all of Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. May God bless us as we see what he's saying to us here in Joshua chapter 3. People of God, as we're looking at this passage, and we're going to see what it shows us about how these people of God were facing an uncrossable river, and God is the one who helped them and showed them the way to go across a river they could not cross alone. But as we do that, I want to begin with asking you about how big your God is. How big do you see God? And we can say, well, I know how big God is. He's just bigger than I can imagine. And that's true. But how important is that for your life and for mine? And to think about that this, this evening, I want to start by telling you about two men who started a new company that was an internet search engine company. And some of you will know what the term is for this new company because they thought, well, what will we name our company? It's one that we expect to just get bigger and bigger and bigger and just kind of explode in what it does. 
And the truth is that their company, they started it several years ago, but this internet search company now has literally over three and a half billion hits every single day. And there are over a trillion, over a trillion hits every single year now. And these two men were not afraid to think of how big this company could be, and so they named it after a math term, and that math term is the term for the number of 100, and then you take the 100 and you multiply it by uh, 10, and then again by 10, 100 by 100, and you get a huge number, and the real huge number is a number with a 1 plus 100 zeros after it. That's how big this number is, and that's what they call, and most of us never heard of this term before they named this inter internet search engine uh, company to be that number. Now, do you know what that term is? Anybody know what it is? Google, that's right. We never heard of Google 10 years ago, 20 years ago. It, it was something we had never heard of, but it's a, a number, and if you could sit with your bulletin and put a hundred zeros after one, that's how big that number is. These men had a tremendous vision of a huge company that would do huge things and have huge number of hits. Now, how big is God? And the answer is, as you know, God is bigger than a one with a hundred zeros after it. God is bigger than anything in this universe. And the fact is that God is so big that he can do what's impossible for us to do alone. And that's what the people of Israel learned. But the question for us is, is your God a God who you really believe can do amazing miracles? Is your God a God who can do the impossible? I remember years ago, there was a man who wrote a book, Your God is Too Small. And I think for some of us, we can say that God is so great and God is so big, but when it comes to our lives and when we face the uncrossable rivers of life, we sometimes think that God is not going to help us. God is not big enough to get us through this one. God isn't the one who will take me through this impossible situation. But the truth is that every one of us can learn what the Israelites learned, how big and great and powerful as well as loving is our God. And so do you trust a God who is so great that he can bring you through any of all the uncrossable rivers that you face in your life? Now, Joshua and the people of God learned that. And they learned that as they were there waiting to go into the promised land. And you have to understand that at this point in their life, it was a huge change for them because they had been in the wilderness. For 40 years, the people of God had wandered in the wilderness. And after 40 years, God said, now you can cross into the promised land. 40 years before, the people of Israel did not believe that God was big enough to bring them in. You remember the 12 spies? one representing each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And there were two spies that went into the land and they were to go there to see what God was going to give to them. And Joshua and Caleb came back and they said, God will give us the victory over all those enemies. God will give us the land he promised. Let's go in. Do you remember what happened? Ten of the spies, the majority of the spies said, we can't go in. They said, we're like grasshoppers and there are giants in the land 
and it's impossible for us to go in. But Joshua and Caleb said, no, let's go in. Do you know that the people of Israel had such little faith in God that they took up stones and they were ready to stone Joshua and stone Caleb for having the audacity to think that they could go into this, this promised land. They were petrified. But God was so angry with them that he said, this whole generation will not see the promised land. They will wander in the desert. And remember, in the desert, there was very little water and there was very little food. And Moses had to lead the people and God had to send manna from heaven to take care of them. But they learned that God is a God who is so big. But they all died except for Joshua and Caleb. And they were allowed to lead the people into the promised land here. And Joshua had that faith. He he had that faith that God would lead them. He had that courage to go on. And God told him, be strong and have courage. Don't be afraid. And God says it in chapter 1 three times. Be strong and be of good courage. Don't be afraid. And he says it again. Because Joshua had to learn that God would give him the ability to bring the people into that promised land. So here they are now, and they're facing the river. And the river is at flood stage, it says here. And that's an important detail here. It's at flood stage. Verse 15 tells us that. And there in that part of the world, uh, there was water that would flow in the Jordan. And at certain times of the year, when the snows would come from the mountains, Mount Hermon and other mountains, it would just swell so that This river was huge. It was one that they could not cross in their own power and their own strength. The river was a barrier without the Lord. It was uncrossable to them. And you think, well, couldn't they swim across that river? And perhaps some of them could, but not the babies and not the children and not the older people and not those who were crippled and not the animals, and not the carts with all the things that they had. And so it was only by the grace of God that they could cross this river that was at flood stage, the Bible says. So they were facing this uncrossable river, and they had no way to get across in their own strength. But as they stood there, they wondered what they would do and Joshua tells them exactly what to do. As the, the, the flood stage was so great and so deep and so wide, how would they cross? Now, some of you know what it's like to be in a flash flood. I remember so well July 3 of 1993, the day that our son was married in Edgerton, Minnesota. It was a summer when The fields in that area, they were flooded again and again. But on the day of my son's wedding, we were not staying in Edgerton. We were staying in a place called Worthington, Minnesota. And the wedding was to be at 3 o'clock. And at about 10 o'clock in the morning, the sun was shining. It was a beautiful day like this morning. And we set out with three different cars, three different vehicles to go to Worthington uh, several miles away. Or from Worthington to Edgerton. And as we started out, it got darker and darker. And pretty soon as we got uh, onto some uh, 
hills and valleys that were there that were around the town called Leota, Minnesota, all of a sudden, it just started to pour rain. The fields were so saturated with rain that as the rains just flooded down, all of a sudden we could feel, we were in a van and we could feel our van just sliding to the side of the road and toward the ditch. Our van made it through the waters. My son was driving my car and it was flooded. The engine was flooded and the guys had to get out of that car and they had to push it through because as you came down, the waters were pushing the car all the way to the side of the road and close to the ditch and the car wouldn't drive anymore, but they were managing to push it through and they got through the waters. There was a third car. It was a little Chrysler LeBaron and it was one that one of my son's friends who was standing up for him had rented in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It laid very low. It tried to get through the waters as we were on the way to the wedding, and it stalled and would not start again. It was totaled there on the side of the road. But the scary part is that when you're in flood, flash flood waters, all of a sudden they come, and you have no preparation for it. And, and there's nowhere else to go but to try to get through them to keep going. And then when we finally got to the church, and my son, I can still see him during the ceremony just shaking, not because he was getting married, but because we had just gone through this flash flood. And he was just shaking there because it was an unbelievable experience. All of a sudden, the waters can come, and they're rushing by, and, and you know that danger is right there. That's what the people of Israel faced here. They had no idea how they could get through these waters that were at flood stage, it says. And only by the power of God could they ever cross the Jordan River. And so what happened is that Joshua told them, this is what you must do. If you're going to cross the river and we're going to enter the Jordan, and now remember, they could see the promised land. They could see that land that God had said, it wasn't a desert, it was flowing with milk and honey. They could see it, there were rivers there, there was clean water to drink, there were springs there, uh, there were gardens there, there, there was the beauty of the wonderful land around Jericho. And, and soon they would be there, but how would they cross this river? Well, this is what Joshua told the people you have to prepare yourself to cross the river. Prepare yourself. That's the second thing we see here in verse 5. You must prepare yourself. Joshua says, consecrate yourselves. Get close to God, he says. Consecrate yourself as you come to God and you ask God uh, to prepare you spiritually, to trust in him, not to be afraid to go. Prepare your hearts Consecrate yourselves, get close to God. And then the second thing he told them to do is in verse 14, the people broke camp, they wanted to cross the Jordan, and the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now that's very interesting because the priests intentionally by the plan of God were carrying the Ark of God. And he wanted the people, as they came into that river and as they were able to go across it, he wanted them to focus on that ark that represented God's presence that went before them. 
God was leading them, you see, into the promised land. And so not only were they to consecrate themselves and to pray and to seek God, but they were also to focus their hearts and their minds on God himself. You remember the ark. It was just a little box, four feet by two feet by two feet. Not very big. And you remember that that ark was so sacred. It was the thing that was in the very, very most high part of the tabernacle. And it was there because there is where the mercy seat was on the top of it. It was two angels whose wings touched each other in the middle. And God said, this is the mercy seat. This is where once a year the high priest can come in and he can put the blood of atonement, sprinkle it on the mercy seat of the ark, and your sins are forgiven. This is to symbolize to you always my presence with you as you go from place to place. The ark was sacred. It had only three things in it. There was no idol in it. There were no idols in the tabernacle, but in the ark was the two tables of the law to remember that God gives us his guidance for us wherever we go. There was manna in the ark to symbolize that God feeds us and God provides for us, not only with his word, but also he provides for us physically wherever we go. And there was that budding rod of Aaron that would bud and flower by a miracle of God again. And it symbolized that only through God's grace can we go anywhere. So that ark was carried on poles by the priests and they were never to touch the ark. If they touched the ark, they would die. That happened in David's day later on. So these priests, there were rings on the ark, and there was a pole on each side, and these priests were carrying the ark before the thousands and thousands of Israelites. Men, women, children, old people, with all of their uh, things from going through the desert, they were now going into the promised land. But there was a third thing they had to do. The first thing was to consecrate themselves, get close to God in prayer. The second thing was to fix their eyes on the ark. And you know that you and I are told in the New Testament, we are to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We are to fix our eyes on Jesus who leads us by his grace and mercy and his power through all the uncrossable rivers of our life. We are to do just what the Israelites had to do here, to remember the presence of God goes before us, and that Jesus has gone before us into the waters of judgment on the cross of Calvary for us. And Jesus, our great high priest, has paved the way for us to enter into the very presence of God. So here these priests carry the ark ahead of the people, and they are fixing their eyes on the ark, and they're fixing their eyes on the priest as we fix our eyes on Jesus. But there was a third thing they had to do, and that is in verse 13, they had to step out in faith, trusting that God would bring them through. Here is what it says in verse 13, as soon as the priest carrying the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, as soon as, listen, the priest set their foot down in the waters of the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream would be cut off and they would be standing up in a heap. And that's exactly what happened. Can you imagine the faith that it took for these priests to bring that ark 
to that point where now they're stepping down into the waters. And remember, it's at flood stage. It's at flood stage. And they're willing to put their feet down in the water. And it's only when by faith they did exactly what God said that God caused the waters to just go up in a heap. And then the last part of the miracle, and there's so many parts to the miracle here, the people of God were able to come and follow. And you know what they were able to do? They were to follow on dry ground, the Bible says. Now that's a miracle. Because you know that if the waters stop coming and the rain stop flowing, you know that it takes a long time it would take days for a riverbed to suddenly be dry so that you could cross on it. It would be mud first. It would be first like mud or like clay, and it would be, they would all have to uh, get bogged down as they tried to get through. It would have been a disaster. But God is the one who made it so that the people crossed over opposite Jericho, verse 17, on dry ground. Now, can you imagine? There's thousands and thousands of them. And can you imagine the little boys and girls looking and finding these stones there in that riverbed and throwing them here and there? And can you imagine the old people as they carefully tried to walk and maybe had somebody help them? And can you imagine the carts with the animals and all their goods and supplies? It was on dry ground that they could just simply go right into this promised land. What a miracle of God. How wonderful for them, but I I think it's so amazing that these priests stood there in the middle of the riverbed until every single one of God's people crossed. It took hours and hours, but they stood there by faith. There was no turning back. There was no way of second-guessing and going back into the wilderness, But they simply did exactly what God did. And he gave them this amazing, amazing miracle. He made this dry path for his people. And it's by this miracle that they entered into that promised land that was promised to their forefathers. But you see, God does the same thing for us. We can be experiencing the miracle of God's grace when our uncrossable rivers come in our life. You say, well, what are you talking about? How is this related to our lives? How does it have anything to go with us? To What we can pass through, what the Bible calls the deep waters of life too. We can pass through times when we say, it's impossible for me to face that alone. We can face those times when it scares us because we don't know what's going to happen next. And yet God says in Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you go through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. I am the Lord your God. I am the Holy One of Israel. I can bring you through any deep waters of life. Now, what is that? Well, let me give you some examples. One of the examples I think of is when our son Keith was born, And we became parents. I remember he was born while I was in seminary in Grand Rapids, Michigan at Butterworth Hospital. And I can remember that when he was born and the doctor came out and told me, I I was just amazed. And I just remember that as we were going home, I'm thinking to myself, we're the ones that are going to be most responsible for him. 
When you become a parent, especially I think the first time, the responsibility hits you. You know, this baby, nobody else is taking this baby home. We're the ones that he's going to be watching every moment. We're the ones who have that privilege, but also that huge responsibility of trying to teach him the right way to go in life. And I don't know about you if you're a parent here, but when that hit me the day that we brought my son home, it was a huge thing. We can't do this alone. And we wanted to do the right thing, and we wanted to do what God wanted us to do, and we realized that it's only as you depend upon God's strength that you can face that uncrossable river alone of raising a child to love God with all their heart and soul and mind and to be that person that God wants them to be. For some of us, that's an amazing miracle of God that we thank him for every day. Another example is sometimes there are situations in our work where we say, this is impossible. I cannot face this. I can't do this alone. And sometimes we need to just cling to the God who is bigger than Google. He's bigger than a one with a hundred zeros after it. He's a God who's not only bigger than anything we can imagine, but we need to trust and believe that he loves us so much that he will give us the strength to cross those uncrossable rivers in our lives, such as rivers of trouble at work. Or I think of when, for some of you, I know I work at Park Place of Elmhurst, and I see as older people have to make huge decisions about where to live, that it's a tremendous river for them to cross. And over here at Park Place, many of these people have lost a mate, which is a huge river to cross. And often after they've lost their mate, somebody, their children say, it's time, Mom, you can't live alone. You've got to move someplace. Let's move you to Park Place, or let's move you someplace else. And it's a tremendous change when, for some people who move here, they leave their neighborhood and all their friends, and they leave, many of them, their church because it's too far away for them to go, and they're getting uh, physical problems. It seems as if the, the, the waters and the rivers are just overwhelming them, and they are experiencing so many changes in their life. And as a pastor and as a chaplain, I have opportunities to help them to see that there's a God who is bigger than anything you can imagine that can bring you by a miracle of his grace through the rivers that you're facing right now in your life. Now, I don't say that that's easy to do, but it's tremendously difficult at certain points where we say, Lord, I can't do this. I can't face these changes but by his grace we can. I have to tell you another uh, truth about what happened to me and my twin brother. We were 10 years old, and we were living in Denver, Colorado, and my father accepted the call to Cicero, Illinois. And we moved in October of our fifth grade in school. And it was a tremendous change for my twin brother and I. It was to a new community where we didn't know anyone, in a new school, and we didn't have any friends there. And I remember it was in October, and school had already started, and we didn't know what they were studying, if it would be the same things as we had in our school in Denver. And then my dad took us to school, and we didn't want to go, but he forced us to go to school. And he brought us to Mr. Tulsma. 
And I'll never forget Mr. Tulsma. He was, you can still see him today with his little mustache, and his wife was a teacher. She taught sixth grade, but we were in fifth grade. But then what happened to us was kind of traumatic for my twin brother and I because we had never, ever been separated in school. We always were in the same classroom. There was only one class in our school in Denver. And I'll never forget when Mr. Tulsma brought my brother to one teacher, and then he brought me to Miss Imes' class. And I was in a school class there all by myself without my brother for the first time. Remember, I kept my jacket on. I thought, if I keep my jacket on, I can leave this place. And I didn't want to stay. I didn't know John Seabach yet, and I didn't know Ray Mulder, and I didn't know Tom Allen yet, and I didn't know Dave Biltus, and I, I, I had no idea who all these strangers were. And it's hard for you. And then they were, I remember that first day of school, they were studying things that we didn't have in Denver. We had no idea what they were talking about. And so at certain points in our life, we say, I can't handle this. I can't do this change. I, I, I don't know where to turn, but God says, I'll give you the strength. God says, I'll lead you through those impossible rivers that you can't cross alone. I'll give you the grace to do that. Another one that's huge for many people is when they don't know what's going to happen next with their finances. They don't know how they're going to be able to pay their bills. And so often those things just seem to pile up. And sometimes we think if we ignore them that we'll get through it that way. But it comes to a point where we realize, I'm overwhelmed. This is one of those rivers that's just overwhelming us. And it comes time for school, and we wonder if we can afford the Christian school again this year. And sometimes the solution for some parents is not to have their children go to the Christian school. But you know what God says? I'm a God that can bring you through every river that's impossible for you to cross alone. It won't be easy. It won't be easy, but I can give you the grace and the strength to cross the rivers that you will not be able to cross without me. I am so great, but I am also so loving, and I love you so much that I tell you that I will never leave you, God says. I will never forsake you. But there's two things we have to do. The first is to step into the waters by faith, to trust him. That's the first thing he calls us to do, to trust that he has the power, that he's greater than we can imagine and that he will bring us through. But the second thing is this, that we must also keep our eyes fixed, not on an ark, but fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And he will bring us through whatever, whatever rivers he causes us to face in our life.